right. Welcome everyone to this Branches Huntington Beach Beach service. Very glad to be with you down here. How amazing is this? My name is Andrew Shea. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of teaching, so about 70% of the time or so, I'm I'm sharing from God's Word, and I'm going to be sharing from God's Word this morning. There's a lot of distractions this morning. There's some good ones, right? Beautiful waves. Basically an air show going on. I, I haven't seen so many just planes flying over a beach before. We had a an exotic car driving by a few moments ago. So I know there's going to be a lot that's vying for your attention. My wife has five kids over there that she's going to be juggling or someone will be juggling. I don't know where they are. They're already gone. They're not with my wife, so I'm concerned. But, you know, for those of you that are either way, way back there, by the way, we have like eight rows open in the front. It's a strange phenomenon that occurs every beach service. I think it says something about us that we just leave this giant space open. But if you want to move forward, you can. If you can't listen, if you're having a hard time focusing, if you got a bunch of kids, you might want to not bring them to the very front here. You might want to check out the podcast afterward. All right, I'm just going to recommend that. You can go online. We're going to have this sermon recorded so that you can go back and listen to the details. And it is somewhat of a detailed message. I'm going to get to that in a few moments. But very glad that you're here. If you just walked in off the beach path, you saw that there's a church that's gathering down here and you wanted to check it out or, you know, you're just curious what in the world is going on. We're glad that you're here. Would you sit down, hang out with us? We're going to spend some time uh, reading from God's Word, sharing from it. It's not going to be my opinions. It's going to be what's there in the Bible. That's what we focus on every time in our church community. So that's what you're going to hear today. We're going to spend a little bit of time in worship and prayer. Maybe one more song or two more songs. Then we're going to go down to the water for baptism. Some people are going to be making a decision today to publicly declare their faith in Jesus. And every follower of Jesus who placed their faith in him was baptized as a result of that decision. And I'll talk about baptism as well a little bit later. You can make that decision today. If you've never been baptized before, you've never made that decision for yourself. Maybe you were sprinkled or baptized as a baby, but you know, as an adult, you never made that choice for yourself. This is an opportunity. You can decide right here this morning. If you feel prompted by God, just come forward while we're baptizing people and say, hey, I feel God calling me to be baptized. I feel God calling me into relationship with him in a unique way this morning. And, and we're happy to receive you, pray with you, answer any of your questions, and also see you baptized. And then afterward, we're just going to be hanging out and eating together. Yeah, there's chicken today, I'm pretty sure. That's a beach service staple. Lots of chicken, and it's delicious. We want to thank Albertsons right now. It's not like they donated it, but <laughs> they do make great chicken. So we're just going to give them props where they're due. And, uh, man, I have to say, some of you doubted. You know, when we said we're going to do a beach service in later October, you doubted. Be honest with yourself. Was this really going to work? Was this going to happen last night? I'm not going to lie. I doubted a little bit too. Driving back from a wedding and it was raining. I had my concerns. But look where we are right now. It just feels like every time we host a beach service, I'm not going to say God did it, but I'm not going to say he didn't do it. Just for us, all right? Maybe it's just for us, but I hope you guys actually spend some time down here, get to know some folks around you. Church is not a building. It's not a program. 
It's God's people assembled and gathered together. We love demonstrating that by, look, we're not in the building. We're the church here on the beach. Even when we don't have a facility, we're the church when we're eating Albertson's chicken together and hanging out and celebrating baptisms and hearing from God's word. We're always God's church together. And we just want to welcome you into that experience. And another cool thing I just want to reference coming up here very soon is this countywide experience called Seek Week. It's one time a year when churches all across the county come together for worship and prayer and seeking God together in a statement of unity across the churches. Now, you guys know we helped start the organization Serve City, a collaborative of churches here in Huntington Beach. There were days when churches were very competitive with each other, when they were very about their church and their brand. We're saying those days are done. They're in the past. They were never a Jesus. They were never from the Bible. So we're going to get together in meaningful ways. We're doing that through Serve City. What's cool is this Thursday, we get to come together as pastors of the various congregations working in Serve City here in Huntington Beach with the other 33 cities represented across Orange County. There are other unifying movements of serving in the name of Jesus that are happening across the entirety of Orange County. And we're all coming together on Thursday. Now, you guys get to hear about cool stuff that I'm involved in. Where do you guys get to experience that unity? Your entry point is this opportunity for worship and prayer called Seek Week. So it's happening all the week of November 8th, but on November 8th, the Tuesday of that week, our gathering of North Orange County is coming together at New Song Church. So they have a larger facility that can actually accommodate believers from various congregations coming together. Just want to encourage you to go online, go to brancheshb.com. You can see information about that event, what God is stirring among us, and you could take part in it. Well, let's get to God's Word, all right? We're here in this study in 2 Thessalonians. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. The second letter to the Thessalonian church was written by Paul, an early follower of Jesus, to this early church that had placed their faith in Jesus. We've gone through the first chapter for these last two weeks, studying it, going through verse by verse, and you know, really that first chapter was more just a general encouragement to a church that was dealing with persecution and fracturing from within. And really Paul was just trying to encourage them and say, look, guys, stick with it. Keep on with the, the love and the faith that the, the faithful among you are laying hold of and, and keep living for the glory of God, even with all the pressures that are coming from outside and the pressures that are coming from within. Now, today we turn to the second chapter of this letter where Paul reveals his real reason for writing in the first place. He's writing to correct this rumor that had been swirling around in the community that Jesus had already returned for his second coming. Now, if uh, you understand the tenets of the faith, the core tenets of the faith, you understand that this is a serious claim to make. I mean, among the core beliefs that we have as Christians is that Jesus came into this world as the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He lived this perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and the wrongdoing of all mankind so that we wouldn't have to face judgment through placing our faith in him. He died on that cross, was buried, raised to life three days later, showing his victory over death and over sin and over judgment. And then he ascended to our Father in heaven, and is seated at his right hand. He has all authority in heaven and on earth was granted to him. And the promise was that he would return and judge all evil in this world and remake the heavens and the earth as God intends. And we, 
just as those early Christians are living in the anticipation of his return. But there were some that were saying 2,000 years ago in this early church community that he had returned and that there was a group of us that had missed it. Now, Paul writes to say in 2 Thessalonians, that hasn't happened yet. And there are some key events which must occur first. So I guess that's my way of asking, because this is what we're going to get into in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you guys ready to talk about the final judgment, the Antichrist, and the end times on the beach this morning? Woo! Yeah! How did that line up as a theme for the beach service? That's just great planning on my part, you know, but... Here's the deal. We love going through God's word. We just go through God's word and we speak about whatever it says in the Bible. Not what we want to invent, not what our preferences are. It doesn't matter what setting we're in. We believe God's word can speak. And so this is, these, these are the topics. This is the topic that we're getting into this morning. And I recognize as we get into this, there are going to be some of you that have very strong opinions about the return of Jesus, about the final judgment, about the end times. There are others of you who have given it zero thought. Zero thought. And there are many of you that Maybe you didn't have that many questions about it, but once we get done with our reading today, you're going to start having a bunch of questions you never had before. But when we walk through it, we're going to be making sense of it because it's my primary goal this morning to turn you into strengthened, confident, steady, sure believers in God's power and plans before our time is up. Let's open up here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to switch glasses here. I decided not to double stack with the sunglasses and the reading glasses. Just wasn't a good look. I got some wind I'm contending with here. Maybe you're doing the same thing. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read the first several verses here to verse 12. Paul writes to this early church, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching, allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work in the world, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Let's end there. I think that's enough for us to chat about this, this morning here on the beach. And in this passage, like I said, this is where we get to brass tacks. This is where we get to the, the real underlying reason that Paul has been writing this letter in the first place. He wanted to let the church know that the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him has not yet occurred. The Thessalonians shouldn't be disturbed or troubled or agitated or alarmed or frightened. And it's clear that's exactly what these rumors have caused. These rumors that, hey, you guys missed it. Jesus already came back. The, the day of the Lord already occurred. 
there was this contagious insecurity and fear that it spread among the people that they were thinking, man, I think I, I missed out. And I found in my time as a pastor, just as a citizen in America, that fear itself, insecurity itself, is highly, highly contagious. Let me tell you a story. I said I'd, you know, space out my RV trip stories from this summer. But here comes one at you right now. Some of you have heard it in conversation. But my wife and I and our five kids, we were on this two-mile hike to Hidden Lake in Glacier National Park in Montana. We're about a mile and a half into the hike. We're about to come over the ridge and finally see the Hidden Lake. Okay, this is the prize that we've been working toward climbing uphill, right? We're going to come over the ridge and see the Hidden Lake. But we were disturbed by this couple, and specifically this mother who had their child on her back in a backpack, who was very frantic, very upset, who claimed that a grizzly bear had been chasing her for the last half mile since Hidden Lake. And uh, I was a bit upset because I had hiked a mile and a half. And now this individual was going to turn me back with their fear. I had one half mile left to go to see the hidden lake. I didn't want it to be hidden anymore for me. I wanted to lay my eyes upon it. I came up here to, you know, Glacier National Park in Montana to see a lake like this. So her saying this to me, I say, really? Come on. I mean, look, you look ahead on the path. There's kind of an open clearing over the ridge. There's... There's probably 20, 30 people still on the path ahead of her. But she had a mass. She had a mass, a group of followers who were all deciding that they were going to defect from the trail because this grizzly bear apparently was chasing them. And, and she did not like me slowing this whole process down. She literally told me, they will eat your children. I'm not kidding. They will eat your kids. Take your kids and run. So my wife, I mean, we all have our different responses. We could say my wife did the wise thing by picking up as many of our children as she possibly could and running away in the opposite direction with this crowd of people. And uh, calling me foolish, we'll say, uh, for staying behind. Because look, again, I came all the way to Montana and I get to see a grizzly bear in the wild? This is amazing. How often do you get that opportunity? There are people who work here who haven't even seen one. But, you know, I also had the 30 or so people up on the trail ahead of me that didn't run back, that are just kind of stopped. I see a park ranger kind of stopped. You notice on the trail that everybody bought, you know, it's a scam, the $60 bear spray. You've never been so surrounded by bear spray. You don't need to carry it. Everybody has it on their hip. And in fact, I believe one guy had a revolver on his hip as well, because this is Montana. And you can carry a weapon in a national park, apparently. So I'm, I'm thinking, man, this isn't a big deal. And sure enough, grizzly bear comes out of the ridge. I pause. I take enough time to take a picture of my son with the grizzly bear in the background. Once we got the shot, still haven't developed it yet. We'll see if it turns out. Once I got the shot, I said, okay, kids, let's go the other direction. Because it was a mom and two cubs. They were not cubs. They were quite large as well. And we go a little ways and we turn around. And sure enough, it just lumbers over the side of the trail and then goes up on the other mountainside and walks away. You know, but I can't go forward because if I go forward, it's going to take longer. My wife's going to think we all got eaten, so I got to I got to turn back. So I finally turn back, and you can just see people stop the whole way on the trail, and you can see the mass of people that followed this lady, and they've all given up, and everybody's turning back, and there's no threat anymore. The bear is literally on the other side, on the other mountain. It's completely gone. Could have moved forward. There's a one chance in Montana to go on this trail and see this thing probably from all over the world. Nope, turn back because of the fear. 
It's highly contagious. That insecurity is highly contagious at all times in history. And certainly just this one rumor, just maybe this one person had said, oh, I think it already happened. I think Jesus has already come back. And it was enough to split the church. But Paul says, wait a minute, there's no way this could have happened. Calm down. He's not sure how this rumor got started, but he says, don't listen to it. Don't listen to anyone claiming to speak for us. Don't listen to anyone who's written you a letter from us. Don't listen to anybody who says they've heard from God and they've got this prophecy that it's happened. If it conflicts with the consistent teaching that I've given you, and I've given you a consistent teaching that there's a couple events that have to precede or accompany the coming of Christ before the day of the Lord actually occurs. And I'm going to get to those events in a few moments. But the thing I want to assert first this morning is that Paul's warning to us is still valid because the return of Christ is still a topic that disturbs and alarms and trips up Christians as folks come around and claim special spiritual insight into what Paul wrote and they claim to speak on behalf of the Bible or they say they have some special revelation or prophecy from God regarding the end. And many people go on YouTube and they listen to pastors with massive followings or they listen to, you know, all the way down to this guy, Spiritual Steve, you know, he's got 10 views on his videos. You know, you got everybody from people with giant platforms to people with like minuscule platforms who are now given a platform online and they're all going to make these claims and say they got these Bible verses and they've got this special insight and people will listen to those individuals and so get disturbed and they go, well, wait a minute though. You know, these are pastors or these are people that are citing the Bible or they're doing it for the glory of God. Like they wouldn't be deceiving me about these things. But yes, of course you feel that way. The real danger we're talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is to come from within the church. It's going to come from within the church. It's going to come from people who claim to be Christian, who are, who are Christian and yet may be misguided. You know, non-Christians are not going to be making any claims about the return of Christ because they don't believe in Christ. It has to be somebody who believes in Christ. It's false teaching. It is spiritual teaching. And history demonstrates there have been prominent cult leaders who are perceived as spiritual onto well-respected pastors who made lots of claims regarding the return of Christ, naming times, identifying events, as lining up with this or that. And the last few years are no exception. They've all been 100% wrong 100% of the time. I've said it before, I guess if we keep guessing, we'll eventually just get it right. You know, if you say every day, you know, he's coming back tomorrow, he's coming back tomorrow, this is that and this is, eventually I guess we'll be right because he is going to return. And that's like going to the casino and the roulette table and saying, I'm going to bet on black until black hits and black will eventually hit, but you might end up being broke before you get there. And sadly, there are many pastors who sit there and link this event to that and this obscure allusion in the Bible to this specific news headline. And so get a lot of accolades and they get a lot of pats on the back, but it's the people who have to go home and let their imaginations run wild and it's they who get robbed of their peace. But let's be honest, the reason we confuse each other so much on this topic as Christians is because we keep trying to make this thing this return of Christ into a topic that has absolute clarity when it was made by God to be deliberately vague. I mean, God could have given us the date. That would be the easiest way. He'd just say, it's happening. It's happening. It's going to be November 3rd, 2070. You know, it, we could just get that in writing and that would really clear all this up for us. But he didn't give us enough to know everything. He gave us just enough to know 
so that we can be confident. Let me say that again. God gave us enough to know to be confident, not enough to know it all. Case in point, Paul only gives us two generalized events that must precede or accompany the return of Christ. Like, this has to happen before this can happen, guys. It's like, Isla, did you drive the car to the beach today? She's going to say, no, I have to be 16 and get my license. And then I can drive the car to the beach. And even at that point, that's too frightening to let her do. So she will not be in my house until she can finally drive. I don't know if I have that power, but we're going to see. It's the most frightening thing thinking about that. But what I'm saying is like this event has to precede this event. So what had to happen before Jesus is going to return? In verse 3, the first event Paul cites is the rebellion. Well, what's the rebellion? When cross-referenced with other passages in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation that refer to end times events, the rebellion is what we would call this Uh, apostasy. It's a Christian word for when a bunch of people who claim to believe in Jesus turn away from faith in Jesus. So there's going to be this mass turning away from people who claim to follow Jesus away from faithfulness to Jesus and into wickedness. Now, how are they going to be led astray? By the second event that precedes the accompanying of the day of the Lord, cited in verse 3. The revealing of the man of lawlessness or the man of sin, what traditionally Christians will refer to as the revealing of the Antichrist. Now, who is the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness? Paul says that this is an individual who will oppose all that is of God. They will exalt themselves over God and all that is worshipped. And he will set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Whether that literally happens or just is implied through his teaching, we're not sure. But apparently, as verse 9 suggests, this Antichrist will use all the tactics of Satan to stir up quite the following. He will use displays of power and signs that work to deceive the faithful into a compromise of their holiness and toward wickedness and sin. That's what makes him the Antichrist. He's a man of power like Jesus, but his end is not toward righteousness like Jesus. It's toward wickedness and evil. As verse 10 says, many will follow him and perish and be condemned alongside him in the end. But who is the actual man? Who is specifically the Antichrist? We can play a game of Guess Who right now. You guys ever play Guess Who? You know, he's got blonde hair. He's got a mustache. You know, and then you're like eliminating all the possibilities until you find the person. So what are the qualities of the Antichrist? How can we line that up with our own times to identify? We got these qualities of uh, deceiving people away from the truth so that they fall into wickedness. We've got this quality of deifying themselves. We've even got the specific claim that they're going to set themselves up in God's temple. When you look at history, you can claim a lot of leaders, political and spiritual, have done just these things already. For instance, in 70 AD, you had the commander of Rome's armies who eventually became emperor. You had Titus who marched into Jerusalem and raised the town to the ground. So the Jewish people, God's people of the Old Testament, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. You don't have any account of him going into the temple and setting himself up as a god within it, but you do have him destroying the temple, and emperors of Rome were often considered to be gods. So was it him? Well, because, you know, it wasn't specific, and it was so long ago, a lot of people say no. And, you know, now that the temple's destroyed, and this guy's going to be set up in the temple, this must mean that the Jews are going to rebuild a third temple in Jerusalem before this event can occur, and a lot of Christians believe that. But yet... Is it really a physical Jewish temple that Paul is speaking about 
that this Antichrist figure is going to set themselves up in because every time Paul refers to the temple of God in the New Testament, he's not referring to the physical Jewish temple. He's referring to the spiritual temple of Jesus and his body. That is all Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So that would make much more sense of this prophecy that this individual sets themselves up in the church among Christians because he's going to deceive the faithful away from God. And the faithful are those who believe in Christ. That's us as Christians. So have we had any personalities who set themselves up in the temple that is God's people in Christ and deceived and deluded people into wickedness? Have we ever had that in history? Well, sure, we've had lots of you know, evil popes and evil kings and all that. You can go through history. It's not great. I mean, less than 100 years ago in the 1940s, you had this embodiment of evil in Hitler who set himself up over the church. Sadly, Christian support for the fascist regime was extremely high. That's how Hitler got into power. Christians really supported him. And he actually gave the church more power. He consolidated all the 28 regional churches under this one ministry of church affairs. They had a position in the government and the Christian church was happy to take that. They, they gave their undying support and they turned a blind eye to the moral evils of the Nazi regime because they were given that platform. Sadly, Hitler couldn't have done what he did without the support of Christians. Presently, you have Putin, the leader of Russia, who takes the leader of the Eastern Orthodox Church, that's Patriarch Kirill, and that man serves the interests of Russia. He's saying that, oh, you know, all Ukraine, these are immoral people, and we are holy Russians, and we are engaging in a war on behalf of Christ. In a sermon last month, he said, any Russian that dies in Ukraine for the cause, that death wipes away all their sins. All these guys are Antichrist figures. And that they raise themselves up above the word of God and they use the Christian faith to serve their own wicked worldly agendas and they seduce the support of the Christian church into evil. Don't believe for a second that our political system from far left to far right is filled with the same desire for people to pervert the pure ideals of Jesus's church through the promise of influence and power. All that to say, it's hard to nail down exactly who this Antichrist is. But these past events and patterns are all evidence that what Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is true. He says in verse 7 that the power of lawlessness is already at work, even as it is presently being held back. Like, even though the Antichrist, the Antichrist hasn't come, the same qualities of wickedness are propagating throughout all time, even as they are being held back before this future time appointed by God when all is going to break loose. There's going to be an eruption of evil in this world, and then Christ returns to judge evil once and for all. Each generation anticipates that they are the generation of that future eruption. We're the ones who are going to experience it, and there always is so much sin and evil and disaster and corrupt influences and powers in every age that gives people reason for those rumors and conspiracies. Our generation is not gonna be any exception. For your entire life as a Christian, you are going to be hearing predictions about your time and your generation about the return of Christ. I promise you that, especially as social media enhances the echo chamber of misinformation and emotionalism. So what is our role in all this? To take our turn anticipating the end before it happens, to take our turn saying, you know, this is that event and this is that event, 
in the Bible. It's all happening right now, as Christians have done for 2,000 years, to write down times and places. I did a bunch of calculus this week. I did some Bible code. And let me give you my answer. Is that our place in this generation? No, that was the exact error that Paul was correcting. Paul said to them in 1 Thessalonians, his first letter, the coming of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. And they're like, yeah, but I kind of know which night it's going to be. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, no one knows the day or the hour that I'm returning, not even me except the Father. And they're like, yeah, but God kind of whispered it in my ear. Paul gives us these events and details, not so that we make the next prediction in our own generation, but to protect us from the seduction towards evil that has occurred through all generations as we await the end, Jesus' return. How can we be protected from that deception? Number one, again, I want to say this. Paul says, do not be easily disturbed by false teachings regarding the return of Christ, because when you are disturbed... You are less likely to know what is false and what is true. When you are disturbed and alarmed and frightened and afraid, you're less likely to have a good head on your shoulders. You might be following the crowd that's just running in fear. You might pull out some bear spray and spray another human, you know? Like you just might not do something smart in that place when you are disturbed and afraid. But how can we have that head on our shoulders? How can we be confident when there's so many unknowns when we didn't get given all the answers? Well. We're not shown it all. We're not given enough to know it all. But like I said before, we're given enough to be confident. What does it say here? It speaks of the unimaginable power and unbreakable and unopposable power of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look, who is said to be holding back lawlessness from breaking out? And who will step aside when it is the appointed time to release it and judge all evil? It's God. Who is it who hardens the hearts of the rebellious so that they are sealed in their fate of denying the truth? It's God. And here's the kicker. Who is it who will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming the lawless one? None other than Jesus. With the breath of his mouth. Poof. And all evil will be judged and done away with. So why are we nerding out in every generation over every facet of evil that is occurring in our times when we should just be coming absolutely fixed, firm, and sure of God's unassailable victory? Why are we laying hold of that confidence that is our, with the breath of his mouth, he will eliminate all evil forever? Why don't we have that confidence? Well, I'm going to suggest that some of us are refusing to give up our fear and anxiety. We're addicted to our fears. You say, me? Why would I be addicted to fear and anxiety? Well, I say back to you, why would anyone be participating in self-destructive behavior repeatedly? Why does anyone do that? Because it's what they've become accustomed to. It's what they are familiar with. You don't know how to live without it. And some pastors, sadly, are the brokers of the fear that you need to keep living in that anxiety. But I'm not going to sell that. God is in control, absolute control in any and every generation. This one, the next one, his kingdom is sure. Receive the peace and confidence that is won for you in Jesus Christ. 
Sorry if you're disappointed that that's where I went with this message because I could have really wasted your time today getting very theoretical and made a bunch of baseless claims and I could have had you really jazzed about a bunch of things that would have proved to be 100% inaccurate. That seems to get a lot of followers today. That seems to get a lot of interest today. And you could go deep dive YouTube and start enlightening all your Christian friends on social media with all the things that they don't know about what the Bible says. And you could cause the same fractures and rumors to disturb the church just as they did 2,000 years ago. Or we can say right down the middle, what is Paul calling all of us into? What is the responsibility of his audience and of us today? To number one, not be easily disturbed by every purported teaching regarding the day of the Lord. When that day comes, we'll be gathered to him. Have you been gathered to him yet? No, then the day hasn't come. Because you're the faithful and you will one day be gathered. But in the meantime, here's the second thing I want you to do. We are to be aware that the power of wickedness is already at work in the world. And there are already antichrists who are at work and difficult times right now that work to deceive I don't want that to be so, but it is so until Jesus destroys all evil with the splendor of his coming. Until then, we have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make. Are we going to be those who are deluded into wickedness and sin by the schemes and powers that want to work from within the church to deceive the faithful? Or are we going to remain with Christ? Or are we going to do what it says in our namesake passage? He says, abide with me, stay with me is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. There's a key difference between those who fall away and those who remain faithful in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul references that those who fell away, the rebellious in verse 10, refused to love the truth and indulged in the wickedness that they really wanted. So when we think about our own responsibility in this grand story, there's a call for us to remain steady and undisturbed as we continue to love the truth. And some will say, I love the truth. That's why I deep dive Revelation. That's why I deep dive the book of Daniel, 2 Thessalonians, and I look for the patterns and I'm figuring out all the events. That's not the kind of love of truth that he's talking about. Love the grace and mercy of the gospel. Love the righteousness of Jesus. Hate sin. Antichrist always find a way to sanctify and support sin and convince believers that sin is possible in their lives whether it's to hate their neighbors to forsake love to indulge in immorality and greed to ignore injustice to embrace pride and power and celebrate ego to kill and judge and stir up anger and malice and i'm going to criticize any and every voice left right center middle prophet pastor pundit who leads believers down those paths while saying they're standing for the way of God because we're going to stand with Jesus. When you get led away into their strange teaching, when you marry yourself to man's influence, when you go down the rabbit hole, you don't know where that tunnel will lead you. You might find yourself in a very strange land. Jesus says, stay with me. In me, you will bear much fruit. He will only promote in you holiness, love, humility, faith, righteousness and patience until you and I join him in his eternal victory. You know what I love this morning? We get to celebrate that eternal victory in public right now. We get to see declarations of faith and trust in Jesus from those who have made a decision to follow him in the act of baptism. You know what's great about that in these declarations that these folks are going out there and they're saying, I know what Jesus has done. 
He saved me of my sin. I'm cleansed in his grace and forgiveness. I'm now carrying his message of grace and forgiveness to this world. I'm now invited into heaven and eternal life. I'm joining with the risen king who's going to have victory over all evil when he breathes on it and it's eradicated. They have ultimate everlasting peace available to them, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. And we're going to see some who are declaring that they're doing that very thing this morning. I want to invite you into a posture of prayer. Would you pray with me? And Maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord. Maybe you haven't ever considered this king who's returning to conquer all evil. Maybe you have been deceived into a life of wickedness and sin. Maybe you have no confidence about the events of the world today or what's going to happen in the future and eternity. Well, you can have confidence and you can experience forgiveness from your sin by placing your faith in Jesus this morning, by trusting in God, by remaining with him, beginning to walk with him. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father.